All right, let's get into the word this morning. We are in week number 11 of 12 in our series in 1 John. So we're like almost done. We're coming in for landing, wrapping it up. And, and this week and next week, we're going to kind of tie a few things together. You're going to see some terminology today and probably next week that is familiar to you, but it's important and it's part of the whole package. So turn in your Bible this morning to 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. 1 John 5, 1. And while you are finding that, let me set this up. And I'll do it by way of a question. True or false, things in the world don't appear to be going amazingly well. True or false? True. That was not a trick question. It is true. The world is like, I don't know if you've noticed, kind of a crazy place right now. Kind of a chaotic place. People are burned out. People are depressed. People are anxious. People are paranoid. People are unhealthy. People are having a ton of issues and carrying around more baggage than what will fit in their suitcase. Okay, that's what's going on. Then we've got this, like, I don't know, pandemic happening that we're all just tired of and worn out from, but we must press on because what other choice do we have? And then we've got things like cancel culture. You know about that term, cancel culture? Like everywhere you look, something's getting hated on and canceled, and we're all just against voicing our displeasure for things. And it's just kind of negative. And then, then there's things like all the injustice you see in the world and the protesting and all that stuff. And then there are things like climate change. And there are things like hatred being spewed across the internet. And there are things like the fear that one day will be over taken by machines, okay? All that's going on. The world doesn't seem like it's going that well. Probably not a shock to you. And yet, and yet, God has a life for us, which we've said time and time again in this series. God has a life for us, and it's a life marked by relationship with him, walking with him, uh, being with him, worshiping him, finding our purpose in him, finding our identity in him, our hope and our fruitfulness and our flourishing and our victory in him. That's the life that God has for us. And today what we're going to see, I want you to think of this as a big recipe card. Okay, we're going we're gonna to put together from God's word a recipe for how it's possible for us to overcome the world. Somebody say overcome the world. I'm going to write that up here and I hope that you guys can see this. Overcome the world. How many of you know that in order to be a pastor, you need to have really neat handwriting or else you're not qualified for the job? Okay. Yeah, nobody say anything. It's okay. Um, overcoming the world. So it's possible for us to do this, whatever this is, it's possible for us to overcome the craziness of the world, to not get bogged down and weighed down and wrecked and ruined by just the narrative of this world that we seem to really easily be caught up into. And what I want to just say about this phrase, overcoming the world, you might hear that and it might seem like sort of a Hallmark card, motivational speech, rah, rah, rah kind of a thing. It's not really that. I mean, it is encouraging, but there's lots of things that this isn't. Overcoming the world is not like, oh, I just go out and be successful, whatever that is, and make lots of money. No, overcoming the world is not based on our stuff. Overcoming the world is not 
It's not, oh, I'll just go out and be popular and make lots of friends. No, it's not based on our status either. Overcoming the world does not have to do with being happy. All I got to do in this life is just try really hard to be happy. No, this, according to God, is not based on our worldly sensations. It's not about being the best version of ourselves and staying true to ourselves like some kind of worldly sophistication either. Overcoming the world, according to God, like we're going to see, has something to do with your Savior. This has something to do with your connection to and your relation to God. It's essentially this. It's, it's a spiritual matter. It's essentially this. It's being able to rise above the narrative and the trend and the tide of the world and live the life that God has for us. Because again, God has a life for us and everything we're going to talk about today is part of that life and it's part of our recipe for overcoming the world. So how many of you, we're going to put our kitchen hats on, okay? How many of you like to cook? How many of you prefer baking? Not me. Not me. How many of you prefer when someone else cooks or bakes for you? Amen? Amen. Okay, that's where we're at. Whatever you're at, though, kitchen hat is going on, and we're going we're gonna to get some ingredients together here, and we're going to put them all together and whip them up, and then we're going to verify that it's a good recipe. That's what we're going to do. And then our homework as we go from here is going to be to put this into practice in our lives. That sound good? That's where we're going today, all right? You in? Are you, are you good? Are we ready here? Okay, well, let's get into the Bible then. 1 John 5, 1. 1 John 5, 1 says... Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So I'm going to write our first ingredient on here. Everyone who, that was a terrible underline, everyone who believes in Jesus. Brothers and sisters at the back, probably can't read that. That is okay. Put your reading glasses on and you'll be all right. Now, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So that's the starting point. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to believe that he is Lord because you can't overcome the world as God defines overcoming the world apart from Jesus. He is God. He is God who came to earth in the form of a man, fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect sinless life, which we have failed to live. He died on a cross in our place to pay for our sins. Our sin, not his sins. He didn't have any sins. He died to pay for our sins. And he also rose from the grave. So he didn't just die and you know, get defeated. He rose and was victorious and is victorious. And now when we put our belief and our hope and our trust in Jesus, we are saved. We are made new. We are brought into God's family. That's good news for us. And there's a really cool verse in John chapter 16. I think it's verse 33. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That's what he said. I love that. So any overcoming the world that we're going to do, it's going to happen in the wake of Jesus who has ultimately overcome the world. It's as though Jesus like smashed through a brick wall. He overcame. And now our overcoming involves walking through the gaping hole in the brick wall that he's made. So it's all about Jesus. You got to believe in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus today? Because that's where it starts. Now, when we talk about belief, it's easy to kind of think of belief as only just some intellectual exercise. Oh, I believe here, but it doesn't lead anywhere. It doesn't translate to anything. Well, that's not really belief because a belief in Jesus is a belief that leads to stuff. It leads to action. It leads to a whole bunch of things. And essentially, when it talks about believe in Jesus, believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
that's not just saying, oh yeah, I went to church and I heard that and maybe it's true. Okay, moving on with my life. When it talks about believing, that's saying, okay, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are and I'm all in. I'm going for it. I'm not holding back. I'm not just going to be a casual church attender and nothing else. Like, I'm in. I want the life you have for me. You are my master, my savior, my Lord, and I'm going for it. That's what belief talks about. It's a little more than just, you know, the shrug of the shoulders, what's in your mind kind of thing, right? So if your belief in Jesus doesn't lead to anything, then I would just pose to you that it may not be a true belief in Jesus because belief leads to stuff, okay? Now it continues. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Somebody say born of God. So this belief leads to being born of God. I'm going to write born again. Does that sound okay? doesn't matter because I'm doing it anyway. Belief in Jesus leads to being born again. So there's scriptures that talk about how, how when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And I hope somebody can testify to that today. When we come to Christ and truly believe in him, something changes in us. We get a new heart. It says in the book of Ezekiel, we're given new, a new nature. We're made a new creation. You get new desires, the whole thing. A new, a new lease on life, a new family of brothers and sisters in Christ. Like something changes. We get born again and something changes. And it goes on. It says, and everyone who loves the Father. So there's another ingredient. We're going to write love God. I, don't, I really don't know if you can read my printing or not. This is a sidebar. I had a grade one teacher who I printed very, very not neatly, and I passed some work in, and she said, Braden, if this printing isn't neat, I'm going to blow my stack. And I said, I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound very good. And hopefully I've learned a little bit in those 25 years. But anyway, to everyone who loves the Father, that's where we're at. So a natural byproduct when we're following the recipe that God gives us, belief in Jesus leads to us being born again. And one of the byproducts is that we grow to love God. How many of you know we're supposed to love God? That's part of this life he has for us, right? And, and the reason this happens is, again, when you get born again, stuff changes in you. Your heart changes, and your heart starts to grow to love God more and more. All of a sudden, and some of you can testify, when you became a Christian and, and in the time after that, your, your mind and your heart started to change. Your, your attitude about God, your affections for God, your, your desire for God and your zeal for him changed. Your love for him changed. That's how it's supposed to happen. And strangely enough, there are some who seem like they get this first part. Oh, I believe. I believe. Oh, yeah, I believe. I believe in Jesus. But it doesn't seem, I, I can't see your heart, I don't know, but it doesn't seem like it translates to this. And if that's the case, if you have a belief in Jesus Christ but not a love for God, I would just pose again, maybe you've missed an ingredient somewhere. Because this is all part and parcel together. And if that would describe you, if you say, well, I'm someone who believes in Jesus, but I don't really... The love for God thing, maybe that's grown cold or it's whatever. All hope is not lost for you. Let me just say that. Uh, my encouragement to you is, if that's where you find yourself, go back to the start. Go back to the start of your recipe. Who is Jesus? What has he done for me? What, he, what does his death and his resurrection mean for me? Uh, do, I, do I believe that? Is that true? For, is that, yeah, yeah. Do I want to go for that? Go back to the beginning. And here's a cool verse from Scripture it says, there's a verse in James that says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So if you're struggling with this one, 
and you really pursue the Lord, you just go back to brass tacks, he'll honor that. He'll honor that if you seek him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But anyway, that's where our recipe's going. So, it continues. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. A.K.A., this is a brand new one you haven't seen in the last 11 weeks. Love other what? Christians. I'll write believers just because, but Christians, absolutely right. Love other believers. That's like if you had a dollar for every time we said that in this series, right? You'd have a really big tithe to put in. Wink, wink. Anyway, that was funny. Okay, so all this is going on. Whoever loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him, loves other Christians. And when we talked about this last week and many other weeks, this is not the feeling you get. This is not some mental thing only. It's about showing love to other Christians. Showing love. Remember actually the word last week, the Greek word agape? Remember agape? That's the selfless, um, wanting the best for somebody else, perhaps sacrificial, pure love that you show to other Christians. That's what's going on. How's that been going for us, by the way? Right. I got two thumbs up in the back. That was good. I'm glad to hear that. So, again, if we have this and this and this, but we don't have this, that means that you've missed an ingredient. Something's missing in your recipe. Maybe you've gotten off of God's recipe and you've gone on to your own recipe, if that's not what you see in your life. But all these ingredients need to be here if we're going to do this. If we're going to overcome the world, all this is necessary. Now, what we're going to start to see is how all of these these are not independent of one another. These work together very closely. That's what we're going to see next. So let's go to verse 2. It says, By this we know that we love the children of God. So by this we know that we love other Christians when we love God. In other words, these two are completely connected. We know that we're doing this when we're doing this. And why, why is that a given? Why does that necessarily one equate to the other? Well, because when we love God and we know that we're loving other believers, it's because when we truly get with the Lord Jesus, when we truly get with him and, and, and work on this, again, that heart change comes up. We start to change to become more like him. Remember, come to Jesus, walk with Jesus, become more like Jesus. And so naturally, as we're being close to God, our heart starts to change and our heart toward other people starts to change because he is love and his love starts welling up in us and it spills out from us onto others. By the way, part of God's heart, as we'll see in a minute, it's not just you and him and that's it. It's Jesus, others, and you. So these are super tied together. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Somebody said, I liked it until we got to this part. That's another ingredient we see on here. Obey God's commandments. Command, I'll just write commands. Obey God's commandments. So again, by this we know that we love other Christians when we obey God's commandments. Well, these two are connected. We saw that those two are. Well, no, these two are connected. So for starters, God, in his word, God gives us commandments. 
many of his commandments have to do with the way that we treat other people. And so by default, if you're following his commandments, you'll be doing this because this is where the commandments lead you, a lot of them right here. And generally speaking, no, I'm getting ahead of myself now. Let me listen here. Now let me go here now. Verse three is where I want to go. It says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So look at this. Those two are connected. See how they all work together? You guys following? You staying with me here? This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. The greatest commandment, it says in Matthew chapter 22, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. So if we're serious about this, it's going to lead us here as well. And the way it works is that when you love somebody, you want to please them, right? You love God, you want to please him. You love your spouse, you want to please them. You love your kids, you want to please them. You love your pastor, you, right? It just makes sense. Okay, so that's how it is. When we love God, we should want to please him. And part of our pleasing him comes when we do what he says. That should be our heart. If we say we love God, but we never keep his commandments, it's like, well, you kind of have a weird way of showing your love for him if all you're doing is rejecting his commandments and rebelling against him. That doesn't really make sense, right? Now, this next part in verse 3 is fantastic. Listen to this. His commandments are not what? Burdensome. I love that that's there. We could have just as easily not had that sentence and go right on by it. But his commandments are not burdensome. So God is not some harsh dictator who's up there cracking the whip trying to make us miserable. Follow my commandments. Ah, that's not what God is like. His commandments are not a burden. That's part of the reason why Jesus could say in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you not more burden, I will give you rest because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You follow Jesus, you walk in his commandments, it's, it's, his burden is light. Um, Proverbs four twenty two actually says that the words of God are life-giving. They, they give life to all our flesh. They are life to those who find them, it says. God's commandments, here's, what I, here's how I want you to see God's commandments today. They lead to our flourishing. I want you to think about this. God did not give us commandments for him. He doesn't really need them. He's doing fine. The commandments are for us and they're for our good. So it's not a case of, okay, God has given us his commandments, but they're to make his life easier. And if they happen to make us miserable, well, too bad because it's for him. That's not even what's going on. When God issues commandments, it's for our good. So I'm going to give you an analogy. So when I was a kid, my parents lived, well, they still live in the same house. They live on the first house in a subdivision. There's a busy road going this way, and then the subdivision comes in this way, and they're right on the corner. Some of you have been to their house. When I was a kid, this subdivision street was not a busy street. It is now, don't play in the street, not safe. But at the time... It was just like 20 houses or so on the street and all the adults would go to work and the street would be empty through the day and so we were allowed to go out and play in the street. Now, we had one rule though. We could go out the driveway and go this way, right? You all know what's going on. Go out the driveway and go this way, but we weren't allowed to go past the driveway this way. Now, my brother and I could choose. You think I'm gonna say something bad that we did? We always listened. We always obeyed the commandments. 
in that scenario, we had a choice. We could focus on what we weren't allowed to do. Those parents, those jerks, they're repressive. They're not letting me express my autonomy, my, my, you know, the things I want to do, how you know, terrible of them. Or we could focus on all the stuff that we were free to do. Like I have memories as a kid, we would go down the street like at eight in the morning on our bikes, we could play right in the street, we could play at neighbors' houses, in the house, in the yard, there were acres of woods around. We could just go unsupervised and do whatever we wanted. Again, we always did the right thing. <laughs> Let the record show. Those, that instruction was given for our good. It wasn't because you know, it was something that was more convenient for them. That was for my good and my brother's good. Don't go out in the street because this is where the danger is. Cars whip down the hill and up the hill all day long. They said, go this way because there's life there. There's freedom there. There are good things for you here. So when God gives us commandments and instructions, when he puts uh, boundaries and parameters in place, Put, puts a fence around some things, you have a choice on what you think about. You can focus on what's outside those guidelines and say, God, what a jerk you are. You are repressive. You're outdated. You won't let me express myself. You know what that will lead you to? You'll become bitter. Or you can trust the Lord and trust that the things that are within those parameters are not just there arbitrarily, they're there for your good, your flourishing, your benefit, and you can walk in those freely in Christ and focus on those. You know what that'll make you? Grateful. So you can be bitter or you can be grateful. And it really, in a lot of ways, it's a matter of perspective. And of course, our practice in that is important as well. And here's just what I want to emphasize about God's commands. It's not like, okay, here's the fence, everything in the fence is, yeah, it's okay, but it's a consolation prize because really the fun stuff is out here. That's not what's going on. God is protecting us from this stuff and he's giving us the best stuff in here. Is that landing somewhere today? You guys tracking? That's God's commandment. So I want us as a church to be a people that don't bristle at God's commandments and don't roll our eyes at the concept of his commandments. He is God. He knows best. And I want us to be a people who rejoice to do the commandments of God, who, who rejoice to be walking in them and following them and being in his will. Like, I want us to experience the joy that comes from that. So that's where we're at. Now, those are all our ingredients. Our rather messy recipe card has everything on it that we need to start cooking. So we're gonna put all these together. When these all come together, the ability to overcome the world is produced. Remember, overcoming the world, it's not just some you know, touchy-feely thing. It's living the life that God wants you to live and rising above the tide and the narrative of this world, doing all of these things according to God is part of this. Because when we do these things, listen now, we're walking in the will of God. And when you walk in the will of God, we can walk in confidence. And we don't have to be bogged down by all the things of the world. And everybody who does this, everybody who believes in Jesus, who has been born again in Jesus, everybody who loves God, who loves other Christians, and who obeys God's commandments does this. Now, there's a key to all this, though. There's a key to all this. If you read on, like it says here, uh, in verse, we're in verse 4. It says, 
For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What does it say? Our faith. Faith is the key. Faith is the issue. And this is not... This is not faith in ourselves, faith in our culture, faith in those around us. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is the victory. Faith in Jesus Christ is the victory that overcomes the world. Again, it has to do with your connection to him. Are you walking with Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Are you, are you doing life with Jesus? It says in verse 5, Rhetorically, who is it that overcomes the world except for the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Who is it? Well, it's nobody. According to God, you can't overcome the world apart from Jesus. I don't care who you are or how well you think you're doing. You might look at your life and think, I'm doing just fine. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I got a good job. I got money. I got food in the fridge. I got good friends. I got a good family. That's great. But apart from faith in Jesus, you are still not overcoming the world. You are still not living the life that God has for you. That's the issue. It's faith in Jesus. And remember, it's not, faith is not arbitrary. Oh, yep, I have faith today. No, it's a faith that leads to all this. Are these ingredients visible in our lives? Because that's the key. All of these things through faith is the recipe for overcoming the world. And you know what? I'm gonna give you one more word on this as well. All of these things, when we do all of these things, there's a word we've used in this series to sum this up. Abiding. Somebody say abiding. abiding. I'm getting real low over here now. I got no more words to go on my sheet, which is good. Abiding. Abiding simply means you get with, you stay with, you walk with, you go after, you pursue, you do life with Jesus. And that is really the essence of all this. this ab abiding with Jesus Christ, like we've said all through this series, is the essence of the life that God has for you. Abiding with Christ. And when we abide with Christ in our relationship with Christ that involves all of these things, we overcome the world. You know why? When you are abiding with Christ, you don't get swept up in the narrative of the culture. Just wherever the culture is going and leading, I just, I just do that because that's what everybody, No, that's not what happens because you have your eyes on somebody else. Jesus Christ. When you abide with Jesus Christ, you don't get swept up in a life that's focused on myself because you are focused on him. When you abide with Jesus Christ, you don't have to drown in your circumstances. That seems like that's what happens to so many people in the world. They just get overwhelmed and overcome by their circumstances. But that doesn't have to happen in Christ because he holds us up. When we abide with Christ, we don't have to live in fear. Because remember what we said last week? His love casts out all fear. So when you get with him, his love comes through you. That fear is gone. We don't have to be caught up in the fear of man either. So many people live in the fear of man, the fear of other people. We don't have to do that because when you abide in Jesus Christ, you realize you don't report to them. You report to him. That's what's going on. You don't have to live in this world of people pleasing because your aim is to please him. You don't have to 
sink in the despair of hopelessness and purposelessness. Again, so many people are in that boat. What is the meaning of my life? I got no hope. I got nothing. You don't have to do that because when you abide with Christ, you realize he is your hope. He is the purpose of your life. He is your portion and your cup. You don't have to waste away in a life of fruitlessness either. Some people just sit and watch life pass them by. Well, in Jesus Christ, it says in John 15, if you abide in, in Christ, you will bear much fruit. You will have a productive, meaningful life of kingdom work and ministry. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to sit around and wonder, does anybody even love me in this big, crazy world? Because when you abide in Jesus Christ, you will remember that nothing can separate you from his love. Yes, you don't need to even worry about the grand scheme of things. Where is this life? Where is this train I'm on headed? If you believe in and abide in Jesus Christ, this, this train you're on in life, it ends with eternity with him. That is how we overcome the world. We abide in Jesus Christ. That is the recipe God has given us. And though we are in the world, though we are affected inevitably by the things in the world, we can still rise above and overcome the world because of our connection to the one who has ultimately overcome the world. And I think it would be fitting for us to just praise the name of the Lord today. Let's give it to him, our Jesus who has overcome the world. Let, let him hear it now. Yes. Yes, that's our Jesus today. Now, I'm going to leave this up here so you can read it. You can put this in your recipe box. The rest of our text this morning, we've got seven verses left to go. And what we're going to be doing is verifying this recipe. Somebody say verify. So when you go to cook something or bake something... Those of you who said that you prefer when someone else does it, you'll just have to imagine what this is like. When you go to make something, it's helpful to have some confidence that it's going to be a good recipe before you spend time making it. We've all been there. You find a recipe that looks really good, and we go out and spend however much on the ingredients, and we spend however much time making it, and you follow the recipe exactly, and it turns out, to not be a great dish, and it goes right in the garbage. We've all been there. And when you're in that moment, it's like, ah, oh, I wish that there was some sort of certainty I could have had beforehand. I wouldn't have wasted my time and my money on this. That's why when you go online, maybe, here's a question, a sidebar. Does anyone still use a physical paper cookbook? Not bad, not bad. After the black licorice incident a few weeks ago, like I'm not even sure I know you guys now, so I gotta just, I gotta just keep tabs. Okay, that's fine. Wherever you get your recipe from, I tend to find them online for the most part. And when you find a recipe online, a lot of times you'll see like a star rating next to it. This is four out of five stars based on a thousand reviews. And that means that other people have made that dish and it's gone well for them, and they're testifying to the fact that, hey, this is worth your time, this is worth your resources, your energy, and your efforts. It's going to be good. You should go for this. That is what we're going to be doing in the rest, rest of our text this morning. We're going to be seeing some witnesses, some testifying, some verification that this life with Jesus, this life of abiding in Jesus is legitimate, and it's worth our time, and we need to go for it. Does that sound good? What was that? Okay. 1 John 5, verse 6. Now, it says, This is he who came by water and blood, 
Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. You know what I thought to myself the first time I read that? What in the world does that mean? What is that talking about? Uh, I don't know. Well, many scholars agree that when it talks about the water, it's a reference to Jesus' baptism. Jesus was baptized publicly before the start of his ministry on earth. And this baptism of his, uh, there were witnesses present for it. It was written down, recorded, passed down to us as a historical event. This happened. Jesus was baptized. It's, it's evidence that he came. God was also there at his baptism. God was there putting his seal on stuff. If you remember at Jesus' baptism, it says that the heavens were opened. And a voice came from heaven that said, this is my son with who I am well pleased. And the spirit descended on him. God showed up and he verified, this is important. This Jesus thing is legitimate. It's important. Pay attention to it. Now, when it talks about the blood over here, many believe that's a reference to Jesus' work on the cross. Jesus, as we said earlier, gave his life on the cross for us. And that was, that was a bloody event. In that whole sequence, Jesus was beaten, he was whipped, he was scarred, he was mistreated horribly, and his blood was shed. That's the sort of high-level way of talking about that whole event. His blood was shed. And that was a public event, Jesus' crucifixion. There were witnesses, there were people around, all kinds of people. It was written down, recorded, passed down to us as a historical event. God was also there putting his seal on that as well. If you remember, while Jesus was being crucified, the sky grew dark in the middle of the day. And it wasn't because it was foggy like we get here. That was funny too. Now, uh, uh, also the... There was an earthquake, and the, the curtain in the temple split in two. God was there doing stuff, verifying, hey, this Jesus stuff is legitimate. Pay attention to it. The water and the blood are evidence that Jesus came. They are evidence that Jesus is a real person. It's a real thing. They are evidence that he is who he said he is, that God bears witness to it, that we need to pay attention to it. Can't miss Jesus. It says... And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So there's a third witness. You've got the blood and the water and now the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about the Holy Spirit at a high level some in this series. Here's where we're at. Just to sum it up, the work of the Holy Spirit is essentially to point us to Jesus. We've said that other weeks. Everything the Holy Spirit does, it's ultimately to point us in the direction of Jesus. So for instance... It says in John 16, 8, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of our sin. Well, before we're saved, before you even know I'm a sinner and I gotta be saved, that the Holy Spirit does that convicting work in us. And he points us to a savior in that sequence and his name is Jesus. In John 16, 13, it says that the Spirit guides us into all truth. So when you are, for instance, we get into God's word. Now, I, I, I wanna learn more about God, get into the truth of God's word. Well, the Holy Spirit brings this to life and brings this to light in us, helps us understand the truths of God. And by the way, when you get into the scriptures and you're reading the truths of scriptures, we've talked about it before, all of the scriptures point to Jesus. Uh, John 14, 16, the Holy Spirit is referred to as our helper. So that's good news. Some of us need lots of help. Um, the Holy Spirit 
comes alongside us, actually comes within us as believers and helps us and strengthens us to live for Jesus and to walk with Jesus. So he's all through there. And in all of this, the Holy Spirit is bearing witness about Jesus. That's what it says in uh, John 15, 26. He will bear witness about me, Jesus said. So it says there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. Now, it's one thing to have three witnesses. It's not all that helpful if they don't all agree together, though. You guys have maybe seen, I don't know, I watch Judge Judy sometimes. Judge Judy, anybody? Yeah, a couple of you. The rest of you are just being modest. That's okay. Sometimes on Judge Judy, this person's disagreeing with this person, and they've all brought witnesses, and they're all giving a different story. Matter of fact, sometimes the plaintiff and their witness like, are on the same side, and they're telling different stories. So it's a big mess, and it becomes really hard to sort out the truth when there's all these different witnesses saying different things. But look what it says. These three agree. Somebody say agree. These witnesses all point in the very same direction. That's important in our day. It was definitely important in John's day. John wrote this book. He had a Jewish background, a, a Jewish upbringing. And in a Jewish upbringing, witnesses were required. If you were going to accuse somebody of a crime, it had to be done on the agreeing testimony of two to three witnesses. If you were like finalizing a business deal, some contract or something. You needed witnesses there as well to prove it was legit, not just some shady under the table thing. So the fact that all three of these witnesses agree means we can't overlook it. This Jesus character, he's legit. It's important. He is the pathway to life. He is real. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the key. He is life itself, Jesus Christ. And I find verse nine very interesting. If we receive the testimony of men... In other words, we believe what other people say easily enough. And you know it's true. Oh, well, they said it on CNN, so that's what, I'm, that's what I subscribe to. Oh, that social media influencer said that, so that's what I'm into. That's what I believe. Some celebrity, Oprah said this on her show, so that's where I'm at. We believe that stuff easily enough. And if you don't believe me, COVID has made it really true. I'm going to maybe offend somebody when I say this, but it'll be fun, so... You guys have all seen this. Maybe you've been this person, I don't know, but anytime any claim or fact or something comes up about COVID, you know, like on your Facebook newsfeed or something, someone inevitably always pipes up and they say, that's not true, that's not true. And you say, okay, you're, you must be an expert then, okay? This isn't true, how do you know? Well, I watched a video on YouTube and it said blah, blah, blah. Okay, you watched a video on YouTube and you're an expert about COVID, so I really should listen to you, right? This is what we all do. People believe this stuff. If we believe the testimony of men, if we believe the crazy stuff that other people say easily enough, it says the testimony of God is greater. It's greater. It's better. It's more reliable. For this is the testimony of God that he has born concerning his son. I would like to think a sensible person, if God spoke, a sensible person would listen and consider what he's saying. This is what God is saying. This is the direction God is pointing in. He is testifying about Jesus Christ. He is pointing us in this direction. And, and, and it's not just some story that some person cooked up. This is what God wants you to believe. This is the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Notice the direction we're pointed in here is not 
You need to go to church more faithfully. You need to be a nicer person. Yes, do those things. The testimony is, it's point to Jesus. It's get to Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Look to Jesus. We cannot miss this. And I'm even talking to most of you who are Christians. We still can't overlook Jesus. You're not done with Jesus yet, friends. In verse 10, it says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. So there's a fourth witness, and it's you. You are a witness. You are a testament to this. Your life with Jesus, it should shine through. And other people should be able to see something in you. Maybe they can't put their finger on what it is, but I'm saying it should make a difference in your life that causes you to be noticed. And that testimony, listen, other people can argue Jesus all they want. It's pretty stinking hard to argue against a changed life. Someone says, I knew you five years ago, and maybe in that five years since you became a Christian and you're totally different, what happened? I knew you, and now you're this. It's hard to argue with the fact that Jesus has changed your heart, he's changed your life, he's saved your soul, he's done something in you, and you know that he's real and legitimate. Hard to argue against that. So you are a witness you play an important role in all of this testifying to Jesus stuff. And it says in verse, uh, we're still in verse 10, it says, whoever does not believe God has made him a what? A liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning the son. So there are people all over the place who think they can know God, be right with God, have an experience of God apart from Jesus. Oh yeah, I believe in God. Check, I'm good. No, no, it's Jesus only. It's Jesus or nothing. And people who reject or diminish Jesus, like I want you to know, it's not just some little, oh, that's okay, God. Like you're saying I need this. I've got this equally good alternative over here. So I'm good. I, I'm, I'm over here. I, I got the Pfizer. I don't need the Moderna or the AstraZeneca to put it in COVID speak. Somebody's like, what is he talking about? That's okay. Listen, to reject or to try to go around Jesus, it's not some small thing. You're actually making God a liar. Because he is saying, Jesus, 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 and you're saying, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I know a better way. I have a different plan. I'm on a different path. This is what God is saying, and to reject it makes him a liar. It throws egg on his face. It's all about Jesus. And then it says in verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us gave it we didn't deserve it he gave it to us as a gift eternal life and this life is in his son black and white people he gave us eternal life and this life is only in his son we've talked about eternal life before a couple times in this series by the way we talked about how it's not just the passage of time like quantity of time it's also a quality a quality of life it's, it's not just that it happens to never end. It's also that it never fades. It never tarnishes. This life of abiding in Jesus Christ is so good and so strong and so enduring. We also talked about how this, this eternal life isn't just the afterlife. Oh, I'm in this life and then I'll have my eternal life. We said, no, it can begin now because we can experience the presence and the power of God now in this life. Well, it only happens through his son, Jesus Christ, when we abide in him, can't miss it. 
Can't miss it. It's right there. And it says in verse 12, as we cap this up, cap this off, we're going to wrap it up here. It says, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. So I'll start with the latter first. If you are hearing this and you don't know Jesus, if you have never accepted Jesus, if you have never come to him and been saved by him, it's pretty black and white. You do not have life. Again, you might think you've got a pretty good thing going on, but you don't have life as God would have it. And one day you will realize that you have not lived the life he has for you. You have not recognized him as you ought to have. You have not had your sins forgiven through him. You have not come to know God as your father and your friend. Rather, he's your enemy. You will not find that you have eternal life waiting for you. Instead, you will find that what's waiting for you is punishment and condemnation and wrath and judgment. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Listen to me, that's not what God wants for you. God has a life for you. He has a plan for you. He has good for you. You need Jesus. Come to Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Follow Jesus. That's where it comes. And now the first part of verse 12, whoever has the son has life. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know if your life is good or bad. I don't know if Mother's Day is a good day or a bad day for you. I don't know. I'm not gonna pretend like I know your situation. But what that's telling us is if you have Jesus, you have life. You have everything. You have what's most important. You have the forgiveness of your sins. You have the Holy Spirit. You have access to all God's promises. You have his presence always with you. God is always for you. God will never punish you like we talked about last week. We have the ability to overcome the world. We have the promise and the reality of eternal life in Christ. We have the ability to live the life in the here and now that he has for us. If you have Jesus, if you know Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, life is waiting for you. It's available. You've got it. And we've got to start stepping into that and living in light of that. Ultimately, it all comes down to Jesus. That's where we're at today. Do you know Jesus? Are you walking with Jesus? Are you abiding in Jesus? Are you overcoming the world through Jesus?